everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not talking about all things sports, nutrition, training, etc. related, I'm either writing about them or hopefully outside doing them. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about moving in a variety of different ways um, as sort of healthy people, and we talk to others who do maybe one sport or one movement really well or help people do that or, or maybe they are thriving as true consummate athletes and doing all different things i really wish we had some better npr style sound effects because i feel like your voice is getting more npr-ish i'm into it i guess i feel like it's just super monotone and i'm working on it but thank you all for showing up again um, so yeah, we've had an exciting, but less exciting in some ways. We're home, so it's exciting, but l- less, <laughs> less travel, which is good. So routine's been our, our big focus here in April and trying to get just consistent workouts. That's my go-to catchphrase is consistency and frequency. So trying to follow my own training advice and just sort of get ready for the season with some consistency and yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually been kind of shocking. I mean, I think we talked about this last week a little bit, but it's still just amazing to me how much more I can get done when we're not all over the world or, you know, running different camps or any of those things. And all of those things are very fun, but it's definitely been a surprise at almost how quick all of the running stuff has finally started coming back, which I think is also a testament to being patient with it before. Um, but yeah, it's been really exciting. A couple good weeks of work and writing and Shred Girls is now only a couple weeks from being out, which is, you know, very stressful for me, but very exciting at the same time. So that it is available for pre-order on Amazon. This is a young adult fiction book. Middle grade. Middle we'll say. grade book with some animations. It is not an illustrated book. It's got some it's words. It's got some illustrations. Some though. verbiage is in there. Oh boy. Uh, you are and, not. and you can find out more about it at shred-girls.com. There's all sorts of freebies there. You just released a zine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter, you might be fired from being my hype man, but I appreciate the, the effort. Yeah, we just came out with the little Shred Girls zine. It's got a bunch of the illustrations and some images and just some really fun stuff that's kind of a... people didn't grow up in the 90s or in like super punk... Well, then what are they listening to this podcast for? nerds who made... Did, did punk nerds make zines or who made zines punk nerds yeah okay so, so this is like a homemade magazine essentially is that a fair representation of yeah. a zine i now want to just start a podcast with like peter explains punk rock <laughs> what, yeah what do i think <laughs> things are um anyway you go to bed at nine o'clock for your entire life and see what you learn if you go to shred-girls.com <laughs> you can find out what a zine is if you don't already know um and i've actually had a bunch of people emailing me to tell me that they pre-ordered the book for you know a young shred girl that they happen to know it's not that expensive and it's a really great way of you know either getting a girl more excited about cycling or hopefully if you happen to know some young women who haven't quite found cycling uh that's really kind of the audience that I wrote this for. It wasn't necessarily just for girls who were already excited about riding bikes. It was for girls like me when I was a kid who would never have thought about riding bikes as a thing to do for fun. Um, But if you'd shown me a book about it, I was very impressionable as far as uh, if you gave me something to read, I instantly wanted to do whatever I was reading about. So 
you know, hopefully this gets a lot more girls on bikes or at least keeps them on bikes, keeps them psyched on bikes. So yeah, do me a solid, check it out. I will be forever grateful. And I mean, the more people who pre-order, the better the chance of the book getting into more bookstores and being just more widely available and stuff. So yeah, all super helpful. And lots of freebies there too. Yes, lots of freebies. Stickers, If you don't want to pay for anything, that's fine. You can do the zine. It's free. Mm -hmm. It's a zine, so. Oh boy. You can find out what that means. And uh, one last thing on Trigger Girls is we're doing a launch party at uh, near Toronto. It's in Markham, Ontario at Joyride 150 Bike Park, which has just housed several large-scale BMX or Olympic caliber BMX events. Um, But it's open to the public and we're holding an event targeted at sort of this age group this young adult fiction age group but i mean t- girls and women of women, every age and men too and actually. dads are welcome dads we've been getting a welcome. lot of questions so you're definitely it's open to the public so anyone can come but there's just there's this little party we're having and then sort of gatherings and some freebies and yeah um, and discounted entry for the young lady all ladies all ladies, uh, all ladies. yeah five dollar entry. and this is at the day before mother's day not on mother's day it's a saturday may 11th, 11th yep 2019 mm-hmm. you can find all the info for that again over on the shred girls website uh, we'll have some links in the show notes it's gonna be wicked fun and just for the record the park is not closed for this party the park is open so even if you want to drop off your young shred girl and then go play around on bikes by yourself you are more than welcome to do that and there's gonna be some instruction I'm, yeah i'm gonna be there but there's gonna be lots of uh shred girls and who have been featured on the website real mm-hmm. life shred girls and then a couple other coaches and stuff there so if you do want to learn anything whether you're a cross-country road cyclocross or aspiring bmxer mm-hmm. come on by yeah so I think that pretty much covers what we've been up to this week. So why don't we why don't we dive in and start talking about today's Q and A's? So today is all about the post race. Um, you know, we're in mid April now. A lot of people have gotten through their first race of the season, or if they haven't, they have their first race of the season coming up. But I'd say a lot of, especially cyclists, runners. Probably not triathletes quite yet, but definitely cyclists. It's hard to say, right? Like the, I mean, probably. The amateur triathlete scene is, unless you've traveled, there's not too much, I don't think, yet. But uh, you maybe have done, like, an indoor. I know here in Canada they do some indoor try stuff. But certainly with Paris-Roubaix on the cycling side has happened, so the spring classics are even almost through, I would think. I mean, Boston Marathon was today for the runners. Boston Marathon for running. And I've seen a few of the big ultra. I think some of the first, like, ultra. There's a World Cup or something for ultra, like, trail. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly, and I've, lots of friends have done. We had the Around the Bay 30K, and a couple people, a couple clients tried out, like, some 5Ks. So definitely we're into it. We've sort of got that first one out of the way. Yeah, and so a couple of weeks ago on our last Q&A, we were kind of all about the pre-race jitters and sort of getting through the you know night before the race the morning of the race at the start line but what about crossing the finish line because i mean that's where that's where we kind of make or break ourselves as athletes like yes the race itself is over but i think how we act and what we do post race really speaks to you know who we are and how we how we are as athletes and if we're going to stay in the sport i mean i think both of us can say in our years of racing, there were a lot of people who maybe didn't have a great post-race, probably more on the emotional side of things, and those people are no longer racing, whereas there might be some people who are finishing behind those guys, uh, but still finished a post-race with a really good attitude and a really good routine around it, and they're still in it. 
Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because you don't want to say, you know, it's just bike racing or it's just running. Like, why are you taking it so serious? Because, like, it is serious sometimes, right? Like, you do want to do good. You have serious goals. You maybe put money and time and all this into it. But there's sort of this odd balance, right? And it, it reminds me of that conversations we've been having in several different episodes now around the why and why are you doing it? And as I always say, it's nebulous for everyone, right? Like, why are you running, you know, why do you bother racing? Why it do makes, we run? It makes it makes no sense, right? Like, it's certainly financially, it makes no sense for most of us. Heck, even at the pro level, it barely makes sense Which in a lot of cases. Which is 100%, right? And you're seeing, um, I think you see that for sure. Like, there's coming to terms with that and, and trying to figure that out. So I was actually really surprised. Honestly, I was doing some research for a running article I'm working on that involved me scrolling through Instagram a lot. Uh, and I was, uh, as I was you know, typing into some of these like big name runners with like, you know, 500,000 followers and stuff, I'd read, you know, runner, Olympic qualifier, like, biologist. I'm like, oh, right. Even it's not just cycling that has no money in it. Most endurance sports do not have a lot of money in it, even at the highest level. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Um, and I think it's, there's different struggles at each level, right? I think with pros, it's, it's tough because you're all in. And then I think for the, like, what in running, they call them, I guess, elites, right? So the, like, not pro, but like really fast runners, Mm -hmm. you know, you're right on that limit, but you're probably, you know, full time with family and you're just like a pretty good runner. Um, and it's tough, right? I don't know how you do it. And then there's the, the groups below that. You know, again, why are you doing it? And I think ultimately it has to come down. The, the ultimate heart of this is that you're doing it to see improvement in yourself. And that might be in time or wattage or, um, you know, just pushing your limits, which is obscure. But I think we all know when we're sort of like we, you want to quit, but you endure. Mm-hmm. So I think coming back to that is important. And I think expectations are, are maybe a good place to start when we think about the post race is like, what are you expecting mm-hmm. to happen at that finish? That's true. Um, actually, uh, David and Megan Roche write about this a bunch in The Happy Runner, too, where it's, uh, you know, you might have this idea that when you cross the finish line, you know, you get you get first place, say, and, you know, cheering crowds and bells and whistles and celebration and stuff. And uh, let's let's be honest here. The actual finish line of a race is much more likely going to be, you know, a few people that know you standing around, uh, probably someone who's going to make some kind of snotty comment about, huh, could have gone faster or something to that effect. Thank you, dad. Um, you're probably going to want to vomit, you know, it's not really as glamorous as you, you might have in your, your head. So let's, let's put that out there right away. Um, And people are going to forget it five minutes later. You might not, but other people are. So if you're expecting, I think, like the fame and fortune and people to be super excited and impressed, it's it's probably not going to happen. And that's probably not a great reason to or expectation to have. Yeah, I mean, there's probably, you know, you could group two people into two bins, right? There's the very intrinsically or, or like you could say training oriented people, which I would group myself in. Like I've always really struggled with the discipline and especially that race week to like sit still and recover and not go on adventures, especially when we're like in Europe and we're sitting in a hotel room looking at these mountains and Mm -hmm. like all these big adventures we could have. 
because we're going to then ride around in circles on probably the worst trails in the area. Um, you know, and it just, again, it makes no sense, but that's why you're there. That's what all the training and adventures have been building towards is this like really specific race that in my case that I prepared for. Um, and so that's the discipline comes in to just sticking that out and following the plan to that target. And the target wasn't so much the reward as the discipline to get there, the path that got you there. It was cool adventures becoming more and more specific and painful adventures. You know, the race, which is very... The lamest adventure. <laughs> and then usually afterwards, you know, you, you get a recovery week and then you can go back to adventures um, and big training and whatever. Um, and then there's the other people that sort of endure all the like adventures and training that they don't actually like because they're so into the like competition and, you know, really going head to head with people. Um, and I think you can be a very long-term athlete doing that, but you need to really focus on that race and that like how intense the race is and the start and the, you know, the attacks and just like going right to your limit. Right. And some of the best racers are probably in that second group mm -hmm. where they live for the racing because they want to get in there and just race. And the only way to feel that is when there's other people and there's aggression and tactics and. Yeah. But I think what makes the racers that have that motivation stay in it is that they're, they have the ability to come out of a race that didn't go the way they wanted it to and not throw their bike and not well and they might even but i think they they learn to control that a bit because it definitely like doesn't reflect well on them but i think they become process oriented in that like they're living for that in race adrenaline and that post race just like crossing the line and screaming and like you know maybe there's a little bit of fanfare of what at whatever level of fanfare you're at but at some point there's been a perspective shift where it's for that one moment, that one really narrow moment and their journey is all based around that. Right. So mm -hmm. it's sort of, you sort of pick what part of that journey we're all on the journey, but like sort of the focal point or the reason the why shifts. Right. And those are two very broad bins, but I, I think that's a good way to look at it. And I think then if we then pull out then from those two bins, we look at, okay, we're post-race, like what were we expecting? That's how we came into this. And I think in both cases, like your expectation is that you execute on those goals, right? Like those, what you're trying to get out of that race and, and how did you do? Um, so now when you're with, uh, when you're talking to a client about a race and you're trying to set up the expectation for the race, which side do you tend to err on? Because I mean, at some point we're not gonna, we all have a secret where we want to finish, whether we're, you know, setting all of these process oriented goals and, you know, saying like, oh, I want to get my nutrition dialed during this race, or I want to finish, you know, maybe faster than I did last year. We all kind of have some kind of at least secret where we want to finish in the race. How do you help clients set realistic expectations around that? And do you go, do you tend to go higher or lower or does it depend on the client? Well, it's interesting. So I think we should reference, we've referenced the, the happy runner episode with David Roche so far. And then I'll also reference the one we had Ellen Noble on. And I think she actually phrased it really well, like those outcome goals. So the results based goals, I want to be first place. I want to be on the podium. 
should define if it's the big wide angle podium or the the three person podium so third or fifth shout out to our podcast network (laughs) wide angle podium um which i didn't actually know i didn't know what that meant until like well after we had started down that but that's an aside um so ellen had said she has done races before she has some races in the bank she has repeated this multiple times and there's some sort of basis for expectation on where she should finish um, in a given race, right? Given the level of the race or whatever, right? So maybe local race she would expect to be going for the win. Maybe she gets nipped at the line, but in the, but she would expect to be in the, the thing, right? National level, probably not much different. And then World Cups, right? Like it's, it's becoming much more complicated and much more difficult. So say top 10, I'm putting words into Ellen's mouth, but like you can see how you could take this on your own races, right? Like the weekly race, maybe you're competitive. If this is like a, a UCI level, like crit race or whatever you're into you know maybe you have to be a little more careful about how you set those outcome goals but you could still have process goals at any level no matter how good you are or how experienced you are there's still the the key stuff that makes those things happen so in these we just got through first races here there's a lot of people with bikes that were not ready to race you know bolt checks too close to the the start line and bolts breaking um, on the start line well chains breaking on the start line happened um which does happen. I mean, you, well, there's chains break at all levels. Uh, Bolts break at all levels. Pan Am's, uh, Spencer. Yeah, and so that that stuff happens, right? Bad shift. There's there's user error. There's also um, just stuff breaks at some point. We didn't know the bolts were worn, right? But certainly in first races of the year, um, we have to be really careful that like winter and last season stuff hasn't just sat there. And so our, our bike maintenance, right? This applies at all levels. Have you done all the stuff that would be expected of someone who was going to win a bicycle race? Like they're not showing up with a janky bike. Um, in the same way I, I do, I'm not, I certainly don't always look put together, but I think there's something to looking put together and not having, you know, all disheveled number plates or like how you've pinned your things like again show up like you would you know if you expect to get a job as a a lawyer or something Uh, don't show up in your bike kit for a job at the law firm by the way but you want to dress the part i think and i think there is something to that i think it can be taken too far i don't think you have to be elitist with it but in what you have look put together inside note like two weeks ago in that q a we talk in extreme detail about that stuff um, and get super in depth about that. So go back and check out that episode if you we missed it. Talk about it. which, uh, like clothing and being at the line and all that stuff and bike oh. prep. Yeah. Um, and then I'm trying to think where so wrap this up here. So expectations. So we're we're doing all the things that would would make it those expectations valid. And I think often when we haven't met our expectations, there's something in that week of preparation or in our own physical preparation or training um, or lifestyle in the months to years ahead of that event that have not made that expectation uh, valid. Like Mm -hmm. it's a jump to think. So what uh, the mistakes I would see is like an obvious, like, you know, you're coming back from an injury or you haven't been training consistently and you say you're going to win the first race of the season. Like that's a, you got to start putting them back in the bank, right? Like I haven't raced in a long time, so I'm hoping to race maybe this weekend on Saturday if the weather holds out, um, just as sort of a training race to put one in the bank so that when we get to our provincial races, 
I'll have one in the bank and then have a little bit more idea sort of where, where I'm at. But yeah, but at I'm, that first race, I really just want to get in and just, you know, bikes working, bodies working, worked really hard. Doesn't really matter where I end up. Yeah. And I'd say I have sort of similar goals, but instead of just for the first race of the season, I'd say my whole season is sort of in well, that. Well, you're going into a 50K yeah. run. So you've done one, right? Well, what I'm saying is this season is all about not necessarily like going into it expecting a certain result because I mean a 50k can mean so many different things depending on the terrain and the elevation and stuff um but be like I yeah I've only done one ultra before so this summer is sort of about figuring out where in that I fall because you can only do so many of them in a year and then you know next year I might start having higher expectations or more expectations or kind of know exactly what's going to happen but I'd say for me, this whole season is an experimental for race results. Yeah, it is in terms of like placing. And I think with running too, especially some of those more grassroots things and cycling has the same stuff, like any of the longer stuff, usually the more ultra stuff is going to be a little bit more variable on who shows up. So it's pretty tricky to set outcome goals, right? You might get into the race and, you know, you want to do well, but it's it's tough you have to have like some other gauge for how you're you're going to take that day Mm -hmm. Um, and i think it's you know on some of it is like you're going to do the you know the best you can like yeah exactly that could come to like fueling and holding your pacing for the race and going with the moves you need to go with yeah and i mean i'd say for both of us we're saying like okay these are more training races but neither of us would go into a race that we didn't want to do our personal best in not necessarily getting a pb like literally but doing our personal best on that given day on that given course well i do yeah and i actually just was talking to a client they had set uh a, a an ambitious outcome only goal and they did okay and they, they were rational about it in the race but like the destructive thing is like i'm gonna win this race and it's just like a hail mary pass in football right like i'm gonna win you know you just throw that football and towards the end zone and you hope it's gonna get there you know? i know this is the consummate athlete but i do not understand football hail mary so you throw the pass <laughs> and you know you're hoping it works out maybe it does but like if that Hail Mary pass gets intercepted like really early in its flight. So this is you, you know, you crash off the start and you're not in the lead group and there's like 15 pros there and you're just not winning. Well, what do you do for the rest of the race? A lot of people drop out. Right. Um, and so you have to be careful that the outcome goal doesn't just stifle the whole race. Right. Like often in our heads, we we're judging ourselves throughout the race. This is normal. A lot of times my best races have been ones that I think I'm going to have to DNF because I'm so deep on the first lap of this mountain bike race. Say there's five laps and I'm like, honestly, like, I think I'm going to have to pull over. And then you sort of just recover and keep going. And I've learned over the years that for me, that's actually like I need to be close to that. And then usually I can like rebound and come back. And that's specific to me. I'm a very conservative pacer, I think, is the problem. But where, did, where were we going? This Hail Mary pass. And you got, so we, we got to be careful the goals don't get uh, intercepted. Yes. Okay. So more practically, um, bef- so you, you've crossed the, the finish line um, the, from a totally physical recovery perspective, because this is about post-race. Um, the first thing that we've both kind of uh, come to terms with is being prepared to cross the finish line 
starts before you start the race. Um, so a lot of people cross the finish line, and like I said, they're cross-eyed, they're kind of nauseous, little disoriented. Um, if it's like this early season, it's probably going to be a little cold when you cross the finish line. The odds of a hot race yet, still pretty low. Um, being prepared to finish the race, so having that finish line bag ready, and maybe it's your parent that's holding it, maybe it's your mechanic, maybe you just hit it over by the finish line. I think it can even be in the car. It depends on the race. Yeah, sure, in the car. Um, not all of us have Molly Herford attending to our needs at the finish line. You rarely have Molly Herford <laughs> attending to your needs at the finish line, and I quit the team manager job. But I think having that, that post-race bag ready so that could be food i'm a big advocate of anyone who's setting goals to be winning a race or like podiuming a race there there should be and i remember doing the season i did this was like the first time i actually started winning it and there's a bit of a which one comes first i guess chicken or the egg but having like that podium kit and the cleanup kit with like some wipes and a water bottle to help like wet down towels and get sort of cleaned up and sort of the clean clothes you're going to wear on the finish line, whatever that is, or on the finish podium. Um, I do think that that finish line bag is important in terms of a mindset, but then also just being like, again, put together as f- uh, just for the weekend. I've heard so many different elite athletes on different podcasts recently say, like, if you want to be a pro athlete, act like a pro athlete before you're a pro athlete. Yeah, and I, I, I think I maybe even overuse pro as like a adjective. Um, but like, again, that's this idea of like, it's not that everyone's trying to be pro, but it's that ideal of like looking put together and like, you know what you're doing, because again, that that's a feed forward thing. That's going to make your training is going to be better. You're going to be ready on the line, all this stuff that's going to get in the way of the fitness. Like we've talked so much about pedaling or running, but so many races are stymied by things like, oh, I couldn't eat or drink because of the technical terrain or chain snaps or this wasn't working wrong clothes too much clothes um didn't got couldn't ride in a group like things like this that should be part of the training quote-unquote training but we're just thinking about pedaling a bike Mm -hmm. on a virtual island on our trainer (laughs) huge slam on swift out of nowhere um Okay, so anyway, though, back to the physical thing. What would you put in, we're going to call it the podium bag, but this is just like your easy access, whether it's in the car or with someone that's going to be at the line for you. What do you have in it? I have two bottles usually. Like one is just going to be straight water. The other is going to be some kind of recovery drink type thing. I'd probably have a sweatshirt in there, almost regardless of the temperature, and probably a clean shirt in there, again, regardless of the temperature. Those would be sort of my... My big staples and a towel. Yeah, I think the towel is nice. Um, like something like a, a we, I used to do like face towels in a baggie with water. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really nice, especially like if it's super hot out, if that can be like cold. And sometimes I'll put that like in my feed bag if it's in a cooler. So in the Ziploc and then you can pull that out. Um, that's definitely nice. And like a jacket, if your jacket's relevant. Um, and again, maybe your podium stuff, if you need that, I don't stress as hard about the like smoothie or post-race 
drink, but like having that in the car at least so that you're not waiting so long. And if, so, if you're so famous that you're going to be like held at the line, then it's nice. But I've never stressed on But that's I'm going to say you don't stress on it because you do it, though. You don't stress on it because you know to eat something after your race. A lot of people are really bad, <clears throat> myself, are really bad for not eating something after a race. I think you want it prepared for sure to have something. Um, and to have anything it, really. Yeah, to have it right there, I think it's just really, really helpful. And I don't, again, like I think we go too crazy, but it's, yeah, that's a valid point. Like if, if you're someone who, who just, oh, I've, you know, drove all the way home and I didn't eat for hours and hours. You start like talking maybe... to people. Like if you're if you're super extroverted and yeah, you finish the race and you want to go chat with people and all of that, it's so much better if you can very quickly just grab, you know, your bottle with your bit of whey protein in it or whatever you need for your post race. I just think it's really helpful to get that in quick. You see like I know like Haley Smith is always posting like she has like her Tupperware of food and it's, you know, like sweet potatoes and stuff. And I know Ellen does the same thing. Oh, the amount of times I've interviewed, I think Stephen Hyde and I basically did a Food Network special every time I interviewed him for Flow Bikes last season. Yeah, so I mean, it's open to whatever you do, but I think do do the thing that you would ideally do and thinking through that, you know, and that'll get refined, right? Like what you include in that, that, you know, will get refined and it'll change depending on the race and the time of year. But thinking through that post race, I think is a great concept and i think to the to the point of food like i know we can all argue the recovery window and all of that but i think if you're gonna think like a racer and having a good post-race good post-race recovery i do think it is kind of important to make sure you're getting in that you know 20 grams of protein pretty quickly you know whatever it is you need to do i think it just sets you up to look at your race kind of more positively it's sort of one of the things you can count as a win okay, I did that part of my nutrition right. I might not have been perfect on the bike, but you know what? I, I'm now ready for either the next day if you race cyclocross or you're just ready to kind of get back. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's well. I think sometimes, you know, we're like, okay, it doesn't matter because people are just going to work on Monday and they're not going to train anyhow. So they don't need to like stress about the glycogen window as much. And, and there's probably some truth to that. But again, depending on the race, like you could have a substantial amount of calories you like should get in irrelevant of the glycogen window. And and that's going to help you get back on top of that. Right. So that you don't get home and it's late at night and you're now have to eat 2000 calories, maybe right? Like if this was a a 50 K run, there could be a substantial amount of calories that need to come in. Um, And then that's like, does that result in like a Monday binge or just you're like completely wrecked? And then does that, turn into Tuesday when you should be back training even lightly, you know, maybe some light sort of coordination stuff on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're not ready, right? Even if you're, you know, a quote unquote, you know, you're, you're not an elite athlete, so you don't need to hit the glycogen window. So I think that's a roundabout way of saying like, yeah, like again, that pro quote unquote pro sort of just act like you're going to train again soon and it matters. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. Yeah. And then night, you know, so immediately after to, as far as emotions go, when you cross the line, emotions are probably going to be running high for better or for worse. Um, I think, you know, there's just nothing less attractive than someone who freaks out post-race. It's not fair to the people that are there to support you. It's not fair to your family who really doesn't care if you won or not. They're just happy and out there to support you. Um, so even if the race didn't go the way you wanted it to, I'm just going to put it kind of like the blunt way. 
you know, suck it up. <laughs> Put on a happy face. Yeah, because I mean, it doesn't really matter for most of us, right? And and I mean, I think I've had ones that I've been upset at myself for not executing well or making a mistake or something. But yeah, it's it just it, it is just bike racing, and it's like you you can come back and try it again. Um, and, and I think the important thing is that when you come across the line, you know, you 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 think people like honestly it sounds yeah. corny but like the event organizers probably there you know and if they see you come across the line and be reasonable like that's that's a good reflection on you and you know you congratulate the other people around you usually like i don't know some of those are my fondest memories are the like you know hugs and like slaps you know high fives and stuff as we cross the line and often i am not on the winning side of that i'm not very good at winning but i'm very good at being there to be second and third right there's certainly like a fake it till you make it thing too right if you come across the line even if you're not feeling great if you can smile and hug people and stuff i think you pretty quickly turn turn it around and end up not feeling as bad about it and i mean i think my favorite memory is uh when pete DeSera won nationals a couple years ago and raf came in behind him after like completely eating it and he was covered head to toe in like black ashy dirt yeah. And just stuck out his tongue and gave Pete, like, the biggest hug. Well, and if we go back again to where we started this thing is what was, like, what is your why? So are you the person who's there for the, like, you know, head-to-head battle, like, super, like, aggressive? Or are you the person who's finishing the, like, training mission, tapered down, executed the race? So the person who executed the race, I mean, if you're crossing the line, as Raf did, like, 30 seconds behind it's fairly good execution of your training like that's why i've never been that stressed because it really like i guess it would have made my career better if i won more but <laughs> you're, you're pretty much there right and then if you're the person who wanted an aggressive race like i would classify raf gagne as as this type of person he lives for that aggression like in race it was a pretty aggressive race right and i think as he's gotten older he's probably gotten more reasonable with that but it was a great race and he screwed up and you know, late in the race. And that happens when you take risks and you're at your limit, right? You're cross-eyed. So for him, it's, even though he's focused and aggressive on the outcome, the second it's over, it's, it's sort of over, right? And you're moving. What's next? Exactly. Exactly. He probably should have, should go and practice some dusty (laughs) turns or something, whatever left-hander turns. Yeah. There's that little descent at the end. Yeah. I'm trying to think there was a good quote um, our national coach had, and it was based around Catherine Pendrell's slid out on a left-hand gravel corner, and, and he sort of had circled it back. I'm, I'm not even going to bother trying to quote it, but, you know, there's somewhere in the training, there just wasn't enough left-hand gravel corners, right? And his his thing is, like, everyone's pretty good at something, and, and you can sort of, you know, even better than maybe even, you know, a champion like Catherine Pendrell, you could go, you might be really good at left-hand gravel corners, right? And we all have those things. And then we're working on adding things that we're world-class at. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. but I think that the important bit is that post-race should then turn into the next mission, the next adventures, right? Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, you know, so night after, you know, you get home, hopefully you have a good meal, you clean up. Um, if you're a bike racer, if you're a runner, get out of your shorts, 
Yeah. Uh, just putting that out there, it is the hill that I am willing to die on. The amount of people that hang out in their shorts after a race is just ridiculous. Stop it. Well, and I think we can tie that back to that looking pro at the race, but then also just comfortable, right? And, and yes, you may be the person who doesn't get saddle sores, but we want to try and mitigate any of that stuff. You want to make a, me comfortable for uh, my sake. For, well, from a hygiene perspective, um, so that you don't get sick or you don't get a saddle sore that, again, come Tuesday, you're going to be able to train again effectively right yeah um and so that is important um but then so you're driving home or are we at home so we're we're home i think there is there is a good reason to sit down and you know if it is a race actually any race honestly we've talked about this before i think um and i mean we've talked about it ad nauseum offline but writing a quick little journal entry type thing after a race whether you're writing it to a coach or you're just keeping it for yourself you know, writing down your thoughts, and this is maybe your chance to actually get some of the the sadness or disgruntlement about the race out, but also the good stuff, you know, look at what went well, what went wrong, what you can do next time. Um, that night is a really good chance to reflect on that. You've had a few hours, so you're a little more rational than when you first finished. Um, you can get a lot of good, good thoughts down, you know, that you can come back to or a coach will be really happy to have. Yeah, a lot of my clients do a good job of this. I think, you know, we can do a good job of this a lot of days of the week in our training and, and again, making the training and the testing days more like race day so that the race days don't have quite as much emphasis because, again, we should have done our left-hand gravel corners or, you know, a really hard hill in training so that we knew. But after racing, again, that's our ultimate test. So yeah, just like, what was good? What are you world-class at? And then what are one or two things that need to be included in the next bunch of weeks of training, right? Before the next kick at the can. Yeah, and I think the other thing I actually want to encourage people to do is then a few days later, write another journal thing about the race, not looking at the one that you already wrote. But once you've kind of had a few days of separation, uh, write it down and then look back and see what you wrote like earlier in the week. I think it's a really interesting exercise because I, I think with a bit of distance, you get a totally different perspective on the race. You might think of other things. You might realize that, you know, when you say you needed to work on your nutrition a few days out, you can realize, oh, I needed to work on my nutrition because I hated the taste of the sports drink I was drinking and that's why I wasn't drinking enough or something like that. Yeah, th that could certainly be useful. And I think maybe also uh, alludes or, or takes us towards a concept of like looking at even, you know, the last race of the season, you know, or that big A race, that big like Ironman we're building towards. Um, it's all part of, again, a bigger, you know, we use cliche journey, cliche uh, adventure, but it's all sort of just part of this like over, you know, personal improvement, this personal journey. And, and so I think it's all just little bits of information along the way that you're taking, right? So it, it's, it's just sort of stepping stones. And I think thinking about, like you're saying, you know, journaling on that or logging comments about that or however you record this information can be, be quite helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then the last thing I kind of want to touch on quickly is just resetting for the season. So whether it's a good race or a bad race. Um, I know it's really tempting. I'll say I've done this. Race didn't go the way I wanted it to. Okay. 
what's in my area, what's a race I can sign up for next week so I can get another go at this race. Mm, this is like the classic retest. Yeah, yeah. My test or, didn't go well, I'm gonna try again tomorrow. Yeah, or or the race didn't go well, I'm done for the season. I'm just- Yeah, you quit. I quit my or like my expectations completely tank, even yeah. you know for whatever, yeah, for the next race or any of that. So how do you, I guess let's start with bad race because I think the difference is going to be kind of big here because I think the good race though is also weird because you can end up, you had your good, you had your good podium, whatever, celebrate, and then you can kind of almost derail yourself because you're pretty proud and ah yes I'm now an amazing bike racer I have done this many many times. Well, you can get inflated for sure. Um, That's how I ended up a Cat One mountain biker. You well, you have to be careful (laughs) for sure because like different races will be harder, right? And sometimes you just have an amazing day, but that doesn't mean the next one won't be hard. Um, But I think this is what I was alluding to too. Like, you want to be careful that you're looking at things in the the grander picture, and then also that you're not deviating from the plan, right? Like I'm, I'm a stickler, and clients will tell you this. Like I hate late additions to the plan like races added or taken away um it's it just sets up like those expectations like if we weren't expecting to race but now we're racing now there's new expectations but the training wasn't based on those expectations so it's it's dangerous and then the bike wasn't set up with the expectations and then your you know x thing happens to your bike and then the race after that that you actually had on the calendar is compromised it's tricky right so you have to be and i think this is harder and harder in this day and age when we have so much information but you gotta stay the course and it's it takes time right You, you have people start you know with whatever and it's like no like this is this is a journey right like when david molly's coach was on he was talking about okay molly was joking about leadville and he's like yeah you can do it but like that isn't like a this year that is like three years to which I was like, are you sure three and not 10? Right. And, and, and that could be fine too. In your life, you want to do Leadville 100 miler. And that's fine. Throw that out there. Not a Hail Mary. This one's just getting placed in the distance carefully. but Very gently. <laughs> but we want to think about just piecing this together, right? And yeah, it's just all of like, there's great examples of this. If you actually look back in people's progressions, right? The people having bad seasons and good seasons and bad races and you can actually see a lot of them if you look at like someone who had a bad race and you can watch seasons just kind of self-destruct from one bad race and you can trace it back to where they had a bad race and then added another race and then added another race on top of that and you don't get to see what happens in the training right but I, i think sometimes we abandon you know we're doing this type of training or interval and then we have a race in the middle of that and and then we abandon it maybe too soon. I think you, you don't want to keep doing the same thing, but you want to be careful that you don't just throw everything out and I'm doing different, I'm doing high intensity intervals and like a different diet. I'm not, you know, whatever type of foods you're not eating. And you just want to be careful that, because it's often like, no, it was like a left-hand gravel corner. Everything else was fine or your bike wasn't set up, everything else was fine, or it was your first race start of the season, just practice that for a couple weeks, and then we'll come back. Then, you know, you'll see where the next limiter is, and there'll always be a next limiter, always. Yeah, just don't let one race make you super reactionary, I think is the key. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's the, the, is that what you meant by resetting for the season? Like, are you mean like race happens and then... 
Yeah, no, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. Like, so like changing the season, like being reactionary. Yeah, I think you definitely want to be careful. And that's... It's so tempting. Yeah. And I, again, I think this day and age, it's very hard because you see, you know, someone does like a massive ride at a weird time in the season. And it's very easy to be like, Ooh, I need to do more. Right. And I find it hard because I'm like drawn to that. And like part of my like ego and identity is so tied to like endurance and like tempo based training. But over the years, you know, as I've gotten older, as we've gotten busier, like I've just like it just. 90 minutes to three hours. That's like, that's my routine. That's what works. I can come back every single day, basically, and do 90 minutes to three hours. And at the end of the week, that's that could be an 18 hour week if I train six hours or sorry, six days in that week, right? That's a solid week. That's like a pro week, but it sounds like nothing, right? Everyone else is doing six hours. Literally everyone listening to this right now is like, that does not sound like nothing. Yeah, but like, it's not six hours. If I just post a three hour ride, no one's giving me kudos. Everybody, could you just give Peter some kudos? Oh, they'll never find me. It's true. I hope they actually start mailing us kudos bars. I don't even know what that oh. is. I it's, Amazing. It's like a zine. Zines and, oh zines and kudu bars. Okay, so on that note, I think we're going to wrap up for today. Yes, I have a call I have to do, but the, thank you for the questions. Thanks for sharing that, Peter. We really needed your life story. It's like a, a sub, uh, what is that called? Subconscious. It's like a subconscious advertisement. Well, now now that you've told everyone that. (laughs) Anyway, guys, uh, if you have any questions or topics you'd like to see addressed, people you'd like to hear interviewed, hit us up. And specifics, like what's happening with your races and Mm -hmm. and give us some situations and we can like talk through what's going on. Yeah, find us on consummateathlete.com or I'm at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. Peter's at Peter Glassford. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week... Uh, Do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. Takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.